0: Hello and welcome to Equestrian Edge, the podcast that bridges the gap from research to rider. I'm Olivia Cornick, your trusty guide on this journey. In today's episode, we're saddling up researcher Lorna Cameron to discuss a topic near and dear to every equestrian's heart, their breasts. Buckle up as we dive into the world of bouncy boobs and uncover the secrets to keeping your chest in top shape. So don't rein in your enthusiasm, tag us on social media with your burning questions and don't forget to gallop over that subscribe button to stay ahead of all the herd and things equestrian and equine research. Today, I am delighted to have Lorna Cameron with us. Hello Lorna. Hi there. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited for this conversation. Please, can you just give a
1: introduction to yourself? Uh, Hi, my name is Lorna Cameron and I'm a Senior Lecturer at Hartbury University, Um, but my background uh, is varied uh, in performance riders and horses. I was an international competition groom for quite a lot of years and then um, retired to become a lecturer. Um, And those of you working with horses at that level will know what I mean by that. Um, and then I worked for a lot of years at uh, University Centre Sparshall and then two years ago moved to Hartbury but all that time I've been researching rider performance with a specific interest in breast support and how that impacts riders and that's working alongside the University of Portsmouth and their research group in breast health. Amazing, that's
0: so cool. Um, I think this is a really important topic to actually be discussing because there's a lot of embarrassment that surrounds kind of breast health and bouncing boobs yeah Uh, so I think this is a really good topic to be discussing so thank you for joining us um so yeah you're pretty much a boob boob movement (laughs) expert
1: well no I'd certainly not an expert because we don't really know enough yet about the breast and the requirements of breast support in horse riders the um my colleagues at Portsmouth have done a lot of work on Uh, breast support in runners for example female runners and they do a lot of work with the ministry of defense and with the police force for example Um, and so there's a lot of expertise surrounding that within that group but really we've just started with riders because for example we're we're not sure should we just be recommending that riders go out and get themselves a really good running bra and and is that appropriate for riding Mm. is the movement of, of the breast as a uh, in horse riders, is that completely novel? And we're just um, beginning to establish that at, at the moment. So I, I don't think I could call myself an expert because we don't know enough to be you're, an sure, yeah, expert. Yeah.
0: You're, you're making the uh, movements on we're beginning. Trying. Yeah. yeah,
1: we're trying, definitely.
0: Brilliant. Um, and considering you know almost 80% of riders are female, why the weight
1: in this sort of research that's really needed um I think I think we we quite often in the equestrian world we just kind of suck it up and accept things don't we and we, yeah. we kind of are quite traditional and 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 everything is always about the horse isn't it it's always about you know we've all done it we'll spend an absolute fortune on the physio for the horse and yet we'll be limping as we get on saying no no I'm fine I'll, I'll be okay <laughs> and that's kind of really typical of of riders and and women to a certain extent and I think a lot of the research interest has gone into, quite rightly, the, the, the horse and the welfare of the horse and the comfort of the horse and the health of the horse and the performance of the horse. But mm. we've forgotten that we really ought to make ourselves as easy a load for the horse to carry.
0: Absolutely. Yeah,
1: because that's not natural for the horse. You know, And um, I, I was in a, a great meeting of, of some real proper serious scientists um, and they were talking about, you know, the question of, what is the ideal weight for the horse to carry? And lots of people came out with 20%, 15%, 10% and actually Dr. David Marlin jumped in and said, well, no, actually it's zero, isn't it? Yeah. The ideal weight for a horse to carry is zero. So, it's not meant to be sitting on them. No, exactly. I think you're quite right there. So I guess we need to try and make ourselves as easy a load for the horse to carry, but also all of those kind of 80% of riders that are female, a huge proportion of them do no other physical activity other than horse riding. So if there are barriers uh, through comfort, pain, and embar- embarrassment, all of that, to them doing that riding, then you are then risking them doing no physical activity, which <laughs> then we know has, has added health um, implications later on in life, doesn't it? So, so really, we wanted to investigate what barriers to participation are out there in in equestrianism specifically surrounding the breast and and, and breast health and also from the point of view that actually the, there's a there's a an audience that's underrepresented in the research you know we we don't know what's happening in riders we don't even really know what muscles you need to be a good rider we don't know what what skill set makes you a better rider than another rider and, and I guess rider performance, we're just at the beginning of that compared to other sports.
0: Yeah, tip of the iceberg, isn't it? Definitely. So can you tell me what led you to actually get involved in breast research?
1: A cup of tea, actually. A cup so, of tea? <laughs> a good cup of tea. I, I was having a, a, a meeting at Portsmouth with some other researchers about um, anxiety in riders, actually, and I got talking to a, another researcher who had not that long finished their PhD, and I was just chatting over a cup of tea and said, "Oh, what was your PhD in?" And she said, "Oh, it was in in breast health and in runners." And I was like, "Well, that's really interesting." And we started talking about the fact that you know when I used to compete at advanced dressage, I used to use vet wrap, you know, really? yeah, and I, I, somehow I felt that using pink vet wrap made that justified. I <laughs> don't know why. But um, we talked about it and just and thought actually that there, there's there's we don't know anything about this and she was really interested in, and that was uh, Dr Jenny Burbage from the University of Portsmouth and she's not horsey at all but she's the breast expert so that was a really nice um, kind of link and what we did was we put out um, a survey basically because okay we think it's a problem in in the horse world but we don't know for sure. So we put out a dreaded survey. I'm sure after COVID, everybody's annoyed to be doing <laughs> surveys. But we did this in 2015. And okay. we, we actually found within like a month and a bit, we had 1,300 uh, respondents. Wow, that's pretty good. Well, in itself, that suggests that it is an issue because people often only do surveys that touch them in some way, you know, that are, that are important to them. So the fact that we had quite a lot of people clamoring to to do the survey suggests that there was an issue in, and we found a lot of really interesting barriers to participation surrounding the breast from excessive movement pain embarrassment and we found that it was one of the highest barriers to participation amongst riders and in some cases coming above um the cost of, of wow yeah so that's that's a, that's a lot isn't it so yeah. we um we thought right that means there isn't area out here that we need to um, investigate, but we didn't have any funding to do anything, so we ended up with, when I was at Sparshalk, some of my master's students um, uh, doing the data collection over a period of about four years, and they ended up with a larger sample, actually basically just trying to establish what the movement of the breast was when on horses. The slight limitation here is we've only done this on racewood event simulators because we need the the participants to actually ride with no support and that means they have nothing on top and you know the british horse society doesn't like us riding (laughs) sleeves, for goodness sake on real horses so we're gonna have no chance of doing that and also there's issues with making sure it's in private and and all of that kind of thing so um we have done all of our work so far on on equine simulators and that is theoretically a bit of a limitation but we have seen some really interesting impacts on um the rider's position dependent on appropriate breast support now whether that then impacts how well they ride on a real horse we're not sure of that yet but we've seen some definite changes in in rider position with the riders becoming much closer to the vertical and having a much smaller range of movement around the vertical when they have better breast support so more appropriate or okay. or higher breast support which would suggest that there's some impact going on there
0: interesting and that's that's interesting because, Highly skilled riders stay closest to the vertical,
1: don't they? Yeah. So yes, I, I couldn't believe it when I when those results came out. I was like, you know, when you sit there analysing your data, I was like, well, that can't be right. That's that's <laughs> exactly what I expected to find. I must have done it wrong. I went back and I reanalyzed the data multiple times because you think that's just too good. You know, that's exactly what I expected, but that's what we saw. That range of movement, uh, range of motion around the vertical was much smaller significantly smaller with that increased breast support and the biggest difference was in riders with larger breasts oh,
0: okay so you had the same rider and you took them with no bra yeah and then you compared it to having a highly supported bra well we
1: actually we actually compared that we had no support we had um, everyday support, which tends to be uh, a Marks and Spencer's um, underwired, um, non-padded bra, which is what a lot of the research uses. That's no disrespect to, to Marks and Spencers, and other bras are available. That's just the one that tends <laughs> to be used, um, and that, um, and then we also had um, uh, a specific riding bra. As well, which is marketed uh, and made by a company called Berlier in in Australia, I think they're based. And we okay. chose that one because it's the only bra that we could find that is specifically marketed and designed for horse riders. So the highest level of support was that riding bra, and then the lowest level of support was no bra at all.
0: Okay. And did you do um, a running bra at all? Because I know lots of people. We
1: some of our some of our data, so not for all of those studies because. Um, that's actually four, then increases the length of time for your data collection. But we do yeah. have one of those sets of data collection where we also included um, a shock absorber ultimate run bra mm-hmm. in one of our bras as well. And what I'm just writing up some research on that now where we actually took those, because in that study, we compared those riders riding in those four bra support, breast support conditions on the Equine Simulator, but also running on a treadmill. Okay. So that we, so we're trying to establish if there's a difference between the uh, movement and pain levels that you see in running compared to actually riding. So those results have just been analysed at the moment, and hopefully will be published um, soon. And our next step is to repeat that in three um, D data capture oh. rather than just two D. So we've up until this point looked at. What we call relative vertical breast displacement. So uh, that's comparing the movement of the nipple to the movement uh, that you see on the torso. So you've got a marker on the sternum, a marker on the nipples. And you're, because we know if we're on a horse or we're running, our boobs are going to move, but it's how much they move compared to your torso that generates what we call exercise induced breast pain. So reduce that movement. We can reduce the pain as well, or the associated pain uh, with with that m- movement. Um, so yes, we've done some work with um, running bras, uh, but the running bras are, are are kind of difficult because they offer great support, but they might not be ideal for riders because the movement may well be different. But also, we use them differently. You know, if you're a runner, unless you're uh, one of these nutters that does ultra marathons, you know, you're you're gonna put your running bra on you're going to go for a run let's say maximum an hour you're going to come back you're going to have a shower you're going to take that bra off and then you're going to go on with the rest of your day but riders often especially if you're a professional rider or a groom or whatever or or you're riding throughout the day you might need to have that bra on all day and a lot of those running bras that's not what they're designed for they're not you know they're a bit restrictive they're compressive or they're not you know not at no point would they have thought about designing it for us as riders to have on for for a working time
0: Mm. yeah and also
1: um they tend to be really bright colors with leopard skin and pink and look really funky for the gym yeah work underneath your competition shirt you know on a summer's day when you're definitely yeah yeah. so there could be lots of different challenges for designing a, a bra that actually would work for riders throughout the day or um in 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 the kind of aesthetics that they need them to be in like in that competition environment
0: and actually how long they last for as well because yes. you're only meant to have a sports bra for a certain period of time aren't you you should never have a birthday they should never have a birthday
1: no no
0: no, no less than one year old your yeah. sports bra should be so yeah. if a running bra is designed to only be worn for a couple of hours say if you're yeah. then wearing that bra every day all day then you could be shortening the life of it
1: absolutely and and make and you know they're not cheap are they so no they're not a good sports bra is well you're looking at 50 pounds plus often aren't you and 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 that's actually you know for none of us are millionaires working with horses are we so you know that's actually quite a, a a large outlay for people and also if you're wearing it all day you may well be washing it more frequently and then if you've only got one you might be tempted to then tumble dry it which you should never do yeah, of course. Be, shouldn't be tumble drying, but if you need to wear that the next day for work, then you're going to be much more tempted to tumble dry it, aren't you? And and that's mm. going to be a, theoretically a problem on its lifespan as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. A lot to think about, isn't yes. there? Yeah, 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 definitely. So, can you just tell us about let's start with what is a breast made up of?
1: So, the breast is is made up of basically um a mixture of adipose tissue So fat and glandular tissue. And each woman has um, a different ratio of of that. So some may have more glandular tissue than adipose, and some may have more adipose tissue than glandular tissue. And the intrinsic support of the breast comes from not muscles. It's not really attached to any muscles. It comes from um, Cooper's ligaments and skin. And both skin and ligaments, when they are stretched beyond their uh, elastic capacity, then they're never gonna return to to where they were before that deformation. So, um, and we've got to remember that the breast didn't evolve to be out being the hunter element of the hunter gatherer. You know, that's not what it evolved to do. So that extrinsic support, if we want to exercise is really important uh, for us. Although I will hasten to add here, there are research groups elsewhere, uh, specifically in France, who um, suggest that we shouldn't be wearing bras at all and that actually we are doing damage um, uh, by wearing bras and we shouldn't be wearing um, any kind of support on our breasts or indeed um, uh, when we're doing exercise. So there are other um, voices out there that are coming at this from a totally different angle. So, What's um, the theory behind that? Um, mm-hmm. I, I think because they suggest that um, we somehow lessen our, our own ability to support itself, and there's issues uh, surrounding pressure and discomfort, and all sorts of different um, areas. But I certainly um, will not be riding or running without a bra on. I would not feel comfortable no, doing that. that. So, no, no, not okay. I certainly wouldn't. And maybe that's a, you know, maybe that's because we've worn bras all of our life. Who knows? But I, I certainly, at this stage, if I want to keep exercising um, uh, or keep running, then then the bra will be on.
0: I definitely feel similar to you. So, considering that, did you struggle to get participants? Because obviously, you needed to get people without tops on, without bras on, onto a horse simulator
1: with research. Yeah. Uh, we do, we do, it's really interesting. We do kind of struggle to get participants within the age range. So, we, um, a lot of our research we want to be focusing on, on women between 18 and 39 because perimenopause and postmenopause and during menopause you see a lot of changes in the breast tissue so if we're working with reasonably small sample sizes we really want to have um uh, to limit those variables as much as we can but actually it tends to be the older women kind of my age who are like yeah sure i'll get them out for science i don't have a problem really? with that." so so they they you get a lot of volunteers who are older than you want them to be whereas actually the slightly younger women do do tend to find that um little bit a little bit difficult to to get them out for for science. Um, no. But yeah, so and it is it's a big ask, you know. Hello, come, come in. I've never met you before. I'll take <laughs> your clothes off here and let me stick this on here and off we go. So it, it is a big ask for people. And weirdly enough, because one of the other areas I, I do research in is in body image as well. Okay. And our uh, our own body image. And it's really funny when when you have people often riders, they get on their horse. You've seen them in all different bra conditions. The last condition we always do is no bra, just so that people feel a bit more comfortable around us. And they can also say, no, I can't do this anymore or whatever. So we have had a few people pull out at that point, but then they get markered up and they get on the horse and 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 there they are. And nine times out of 10, they're worried. saying, so don't look at my stomach. And look, <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> up your and you're sat there on a horse with no top on with the girls out and you're worried about my <laughs> tummy so it, it's kind of really interesting what our image of our own body is and, and the bits that we're happy with and the bits that we're not happy with. More it. conscious of. Yeah, that's really interesting. No one, no matter how slim they are, there's very few people that get on a horse without a top on with a pair of britches on that there isn't a couple of fools there. You know, that, that's just normal you know so sure. really interesting kind of concerns that people have about the bits that they are okay with and the bits that they're not okay with but that's another whole area of research but
0: that, that is something that i did want to discuss with you because it's quite closely linked to breast sizes body image isn't
1: it and there seems to be size and body components you know and as riders we we probably are we probably do carry a little bit more adipose tissue in general than say for example an ultra marathon runner or a female sprinter or whatever so that does have an impact on breast size and um as a population there are more riders that are what we would categorize as large breasted than in a running population or or other sporting populations, and that will be to do with body composition as well, but also um, maybe about the accessibility of the sport too, and also the fact that probably we don't really think of ourselves as athletes. You know, we think of the horse yeah. as an athlete, but we don't really think of ourselves as as an athlete being in, involved in that scenario, and and that's. Probably one of the lovely things about horse sports, but it's probably one of the things that means that perhaps we're not doing the best for our horses because we're not looking at our own performance in the same way that we look at the horse's performance.
0: The challenge that we need to overcome isn't it? Because you've got this balance of managing horse welfare and what's yep. best for the horse and actually trying to maintain po- positive body image, yes. So us as coaches, I think we've got responsibility because sometimes Definitely. people do need to work on their fitnesses and how do you open empathetic yeah, yeah. to go actually, either you need better supporting bra or we need to work on your fitness a bit, yeah. but yeah. how do you maintain positive
1: oh, it's it's, it's, re- it's really difficult, I'm a member of a, a research group, um, just a fairly new research group, uh, which is called Suitably Mounted and actually this, it's about ensuring that people are thinking about pairing them and their horse suitably rather than saying you're too big for that horse you know it's it's about actually choosing the right horse. although we don't have much research to support what that is but the right horse but also making that a positive message not not a negative message because we get right back to the fact that a lot of women who ride do no other physical activity other than ride so if we shame them into saying you shouldn't be riding then what are they going to do exactly you know and and going to the yard and mucking out your horse and riding your horse and doing all those associated physical activities is a lot more accessible to a lot of women than marching into a gym or you know so i think i think we have to be really careful on that messaging as well. And you're right. It's about body positivity. It's not about, um, about shaming anybody. And, and, you know, we should all be proud of, of, of our body. I it's taken me probably until my fifties to realize that I'm actually quite, pro- quite proud of what my body can do, not what it looks like, you know? And, and so for my 50th birthday, we did a, a 50 kilometer ultra, um, uh, and, you know, I'm run, Gee, I'm not very fast, but I just love it, and that, that's amazing. Well, been able to, we've been able to celebrate what you can do rather than what it looks like. I think it often takes people a long time to to get there, doesn't it? And
0: I would totally agree with you on that, actually, because um, so I I'm a para athlete. I had brain surgery, so I've got left sided weakness. Um, and so I've since then I was always very very intimidated at the gym, and I thought, oh, I might not be able to do that. But mm. when I reframed my mindset to going, actually, exercise is a celebration of what my body can do, yes. not, yeah, a punish- yeah. not a punishment for what I've eaten, not a, yeah, any form of yeah. punishment. So I think we need to be able to reframe people to thinking actually celebrating your body. Yeah. It's what you can do. It should be positive, empower, right. and do what you enjoy
1: rather than, oh, I've got to, you know. Yeah. Oh, no, I've got to go and do this. Or I I, it's and that's you know that's easy to say and it's a very complex issue isn't it and the the whole thing is 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 difficult but fundamentally if I if we can do some research that actually will enable people to be happy about talking about breast support for example you know that's just yeah. one little aspect of that that kind of it can be chipped away and also you know we want to have resources that people who maybe maybe a, a male coach with female riders, instead of having to have that difficult conversation, they could maybe signpost their their riders to um, online resources, for example. And there is one specifically designed for adolescent um, females, not riders in particular, but it's a, a website called Treasure Your Chest, and that's been put together with um, uh, University of Portsmouth um, uh, I think it's chichester i'll just check on that because i want to give them a shout out for st mary's university twickenham and for university of chichester uh, from mm-hmm. their institute of sport and that treasure your chest is specifically designed for adolescent girls to actually be able to get information about rest support and um and and continuing in sport whilst their bodies are changing so those kind of resources I think are, are really important for um, people to know about so that they can use them to site um people in that direction without like you say maybe having to have that difficult conversation
0: yeah what a brilliant idea and I'll put that in the show notes so people can access yeah. it
1: yeah um, but
0: again I think this is the thing is what are the barriers to participation and how can we alleviate that because if breast pain is one and breast movement, is yeah. one,
1: this is why the research is so important isn't it yeah and I think also that conversation where people don't have a, a, a don't feel awkward in in having that conversation because it is what it is and you know we we need to just kind of and um, be open uh, about that kind of conversation if you think about what what we talk about now and and what is accepted as something to discuss Whereas in my childhood, things like, um, you know, anything to do with women's health was talked about in code, you know. But there are still areas that people aren't comfortable about talking about or some people aren't comfortable. So having the conversation, I think, opens it up to to people. And actually, if I'm not embarrassed about talking about it and you're not embarrassed about talking about it, then we can talk to our riders in a, in, in a much more open way and hopefully make sure they're not embarrassed about it as well
0: and often you can sense when someone's embarrassed can't you so if you can empower yourself to feel comfortable talking about yes and anything associated with that then hopefully they'll feel comfortable then opening that discussion absolutely up. and linked to that kind of body image is this perception for um so with affiliated obviously everyone's trying to get more people affiliated to join more and expand now there's this perception, isn't there, that smaller frames are going to perform better. So how do we overcome this where where the subjective scoring, mm-hmm. such as dressage, if people perceive smaller people to be doing better, how do we alleviate that participation barrier, which perhaps
1: isn't true? So we did so my um colleagues at, at Sparshow and myself, so um uh, one of our master's students called Sophia Sophia Farino. Um, That was what she did for her undergraduate and her master's dissertation. So she did uh, an amazing survey that we have published, which was about riders' own perception of their body image. Um, And then also what they thought other people thought of their body shape. So there's kind of um, two different areas here, which is body image. That's what we think of ourselves, which often is not reality, but it doesn't matter, that's what we think about ourselves, but there's also what we then think other people think about us. And she did find in that that riders felt that there was a judge bias against larger riders. That's not what the judges thought necessarily, but that's what riders thought. So there is possibility of that that barrier. However, Sophia went on and did some more research um, and she then went and asked judges and coaches and used some photographs in one of her studies and then also some video in another one of her studies and she's busily just writing those up now about for publication about asking about horse and rider matching and it was really interesting to look at most judges said I think from her provisional research results that they didn't have a bias against uh, rider size. However, when they were asked to match horses together uh, with riders, there was there was definitely a preference for a slight slightly smaller framed uh, rider, but it was more about the the relationship between things like torso height and leg length, for example, okay. rather than just necessarily um, size. It was body type as a, as opposed to kind of size and 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 more about shape really but those again those uh results they're they are really preliminary and and need a bit more investigation because judging is a, you know dressage is a subjective sport so mm. it's the whole picture that's that's looked at isn't it and and there has been problems in other um subjectively judged aesthetic sports such as gymnastics and diving and they've come about it in a very different way where they actually use discard scores so the two extremes at either end of the the scoring from the um multiple judges they'll discard the highest and the lowest score and then take the scores in the middle so there's lots of um issues not just about size of rider around subjective dressage scoring but that we could talk about for another podcast all day yeah. um, but but we have to accept that it is an aesthetic sport and it's about people's opinion but you would hate to think that riders don't want to put themselves in front of a judge based on something like um, uh, their body shape or their body type
0: mm. that would and be
1: actually, sad.
0: it could impact performance as well because obviously the horse can sense if you're anxious or stressed and therefore it could also impact performance because if you're worried about what everyone's thinking about you could this be yes. impacting performance
1: as well well th- something as simple as the fact that we compete in totally different clothing than we ride at home in and we also um uh you know we tend to compete especially in dressage in pure new world barathea don't we and a pair of leather boots and a big you know and a hat and all of that and And they're not always the world's most comfortable things and um uh, another colleague of mine at, at Sparta, we did some research for her master's boy uh, research um where she actually looked at it hasn't been published yet unfortunately but looked at the difference in rider position and also how they felt when they were riding on the simulator in their everyday riding clothing and in their competition clothing okay and and often. There were definitely changes in that, but when you ask people about how they felt in their riding, the higher up the levels they were, the more comfortable they felt in their competition kit. Now, Mm. I don't know if that's because they've learned to get used to it. So when they put it on, they feel good or have they risen up the levels and felt more confident and been happy to to go and compete more because they have that natural confidence in, in, in their competitive gear. knows that that's a question but it is odd that we often don't wear anything that we compete in until the competition yeah yeah Yeah, not even our long boots we often always ride in short boots and gaiters don't we and then we put on our our dressage ridiculous you know um uh, konings or whatever that none of us can even walk in never mind (laughs) you know so and actually a lot of the very top riders if you watch them when they train at home they do train in, the, in long boots they have their yeah. yard long boots and they have competition you know long boots so that is a kind of interesting area you wouldn't as a runner you wouldn't um go and do a marathon in a pair of shoes that were completely different from the ones that you trained in and that that you'd very rarely wore and weren't bedded in and weren't, you know, you just wouldn't do that.
0: No, you'd, you'd be called ridiculous, wouldn't you, yeah, to be yeah. trying to do a run in something that you really worn a few times. Yeah. Yeah, interesting things to think about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I do want to go back to boobs. Yes. Um, now, so I've read in your research that 40% of women experience pain when riding. Now, that mm-hmm. that's a huge amount.
1: It is. It is. Yeah, and but I mean, bear in mind that these were the people that answered our survey. So there is a possibility that those that did experience pain were more attracted to the survey. So therefore, that might have skewed the results a little bit. And if you'd never experienced pain when you were breast pain when you were riding, you might have just ignored the survey and, and sure. moved on. So there might well be a, a bit of a skew there. And we know that that's one of the downsides of of surveys. But yes, that's a, a huge amount. And I think we found that only. Twenty-one percent of riders exclusively ride in a sports bra. From only twenty yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so why why is
0: it that they people are just putting up with pain, or they're not trying to wear a sports bra?
1: Well, we could get all philosophical about that, and I could just suggest that it's because we're women, and the f- I mean how ridiculous it is it that we go out on a night out in a pair of shoes that you can't walk in <laughs> that cause you so much pain you need to put a little pair of ballet pumps in your bag so that you can actually physically walk home you know so we stoic creatures we, we are kind of a bit strange uh, from that point of view but I also think that I'm not sure that women think that riding is necessarily a sport as such so if you if you have never run if you have never um uh, played serious competitive netball or hockey or whatever never been to a gym you might never have actually come across a sports bra cuz they're not for sale in your tax shop you know they're not there's not a rack hanging up there next to the hats and the body protectors you know Hmm. so you might never have come across a, a sports bra and then you go online because somebody suggests maybe you get a sports brand there's such a plethora to choose from and very often what people will do is they will buy a sports bra that's an own band brand from a, a large retailer because that's the one that they're going to have access to and then it won't be one that's been researched as much as a specific um sports bra manufacturer they'll find that that not so great sports bra doesn't make a difference and so therefore they'll stop wearing a sports bra so you know so it's a little bit about that education I think and also accessibility and making people think that or allowing people that information on on how to choose a sports bra and in some of our research 100% of women that come along not only are they not riding in a sports bra their 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 bra size is all wrong you know they're they're 100% in one of the studies we did the the women turned up and their their bra size was just totally off what they were wearing and what they thought was their bra size wasn't anywhere near their bra size and and that's quite common in a lot of the breast health research and no matter how good then your sports bra is if it doesn't fit you it's not doing not going to
0: work so is there a difference between going to a supermarket grabbing a sports bra off a shelf is there a difference in support there um, so we have
1: I haven't done any research into that, but you just have to look at the expertise. And so some are very good. I'm not not saying everything is, but what I mean is it tends to be that people go and just grab a sports bra without actually going and speaking to a sports bra specific um, shop or somebody who knows enough to recommend the right sports bra for your need and for your size. And, you know, not all sports bras are the same. So uh, small breasted uh, people do better with a compression bra, for example, whereas um, for uh, um, uh, larger breasted uh, people, they're better in an encapsulation bra. Now your average um, department store person who's going to help you looking at a sports bra is not going to necessarily know all of that so even if the sports bra itself is good or as good as another one it's maybe not going to be um sold with the same level of information and knowledge either so and what tends to happen is people try one sports bra one type of sports bra and that one doesn't work for them so then they go well no sports bras are rubbish and then rather than finding the right one for them and the right size for them
0: there are lots of different types of sports bra aren't there so some encapsulate and put breasts as like one mass
1: don't they yes so So... those those would be your compression bras and they basically if you're large breasts for example they they take two fairly large moving objects and turn them into one girt big make (laughs) an object which, which doesn't work brilliantly so so they tend to be better for um, uh, smaller breasted people, whereas um the, the encapsulation ones where they lift and separate the breasts, they tend to be better for larger breasted, but there is no one sports bra that works for everybody. It's about riders and runners have to find the one that works for them and the one that fits them and the one that um, reduces any discomfort they have the most and that they feel comfortable wearing. Some people can't, um, find it difficult to do um, all the hooks up at the back, for example. Some people like, um, uh, you know, an underwired, some people don't. And so it's just making sure that you find the right sports bra for, for you, for your size, for your shape, and for the activities that you do. And sometimes that can be a bit of an exhaustive search. But that's the same as everyday bras, isn't it? You know, finding the right everyday bra for you that that's not to do with um sports or activity. What normally happens is you find your favorite bra and it's like, oh my God, I found it. It fits me a treat and it's so comfortable and I absolutely love it. And then the company stops making it. Or they change yeah, so or they true. you know, like, oh for goodness sake. So if I find a bra i really like I tend to buy about three or four <laughs> of it and put it in the cupboard, you know, and keep yeah, it there. Yeah.
0: And the frustration is though, you know, when your body composition changes, your bra size changes. So you think you found the one, you think you've bought what yep. you need, and then your boobs change.
1: Yes, so oh, and that happens even on a monthly basis, doesn't it? Throughout your cycle, you might have some um, uh, bras that work on one part of your monthly cycle and some that don't. And and our breasts change all the time, you know. So it uh, you tend to find that if people go and get themselves measured. They say that's it that's the size i am and then there's no kind of um not always much flexibility in that so we have a, a resource which we um have shared Uh, And and um, Beta have put it on their website, so the British Equestrian Trade Association. It's a horse rider's guide to bras and bra fit, and there's um, guidance on that about how to actually fit your own bra. What what how how do you know how a bra fits and what you should be looking for in in a sports bra as well? So I can easily share that link with you to the
0: absolutely. I'd love to put that in the show notes so people can check themselves as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you were talking about um, how once ligaments stretch so far, they can't go back. So say we've got a 60 or 70 year old rider that's never worn a sports bra. If the boobs have stretched, is it
1: is it helpful to them start wearing a sports bra now? Well, no, there is a question because we haven't done any research with with riders of that age. And that's a really specific issue in riding because riding is a very long career, you know. Mm. Compared to being a competitive runner, for example, I mean, the only um, uh, examples of people at real international level in a a sport, I suppose, would be tri because they have um, triathlon have age categories, don't they? But in riding, they tend to ride well on beyond um, uh, when people might have retired from other sports. So there is definitely a need for um, research in, in older riders and certainly post-menopause riders, and that probably is going to be one of our next studies. But I would say it's not going to change the breast tissue or the breast makeup. But if that rider is uncomfortable without a sports bra for support, so if they're finding the breast movement is causing them pain, then yes, if we can reduce that movement with the bra, then in theory, we should be able to reduce reduce that discomfort or pain.
0: And in theory, it could help say they're still out competing in dressage or something, it could help performance if they're able to maintain closer well, to the vertical. We, 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 do,
1: we, do, we do know, and you have to be careful with the 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 claims, because we know that in this population of riders we had who were all between 18 and 39, so they weren't older riders for this particular study. We do know that better or higher levels of breast support change that rider position what we don't know is how that then impacts their performance how Mm -hmm. they communicate with the horse does it get them better scores etc we don't know that and we also don't know if we would see the same results in an older population of riders Mm -hmm. so that's the next study you know and that's the key is that all of these studies no study answers all your questions. And a really good study should leave you with more questions than you had answers, which is kind of annoying, but, but is really... It means there's lots to be done. Yeah, 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 it does. And and I think that's the key. You always have to recognise the limitations of your own findings. And yes, in our population of, I think it was 38 riders who were between 18 and 39, we found that better breast support did impact how you sat on a horse simulator. So therefore, there's about twenty five limitations just in that one sentence for, <laughs> you know, it wasn't a re- it wasn't a real horse. You know, um, what was the spread of their breast size? There was no forward momentum because they're not on a real horse Um you're inside as well. Um, there's uh, the age of the riders, the fact that they were people who volunteered. They didn't cover every single possible size, shape and makeup of, of rider you know, they were all of a fairly similar um, uh, riding ability in that they could walk, trot, canter comfortably and many of them competed. So you're not looking at novice riders, you're not looking at elite super riders either. So, you know, there's just limitations all round. However, having said all of that, we did find an impact on those riders of improved or better breast support, more breast support, definitely did impact their riding position.
0: Interesting so my next question is about your um the range of motion in the wrist shoulder
1: elbow yes could you yes. just
0: explain that
1: a little bit no because i don't <laughs> no. because i would have expected in my head if you are reduced if you're on a horse and you're reducing your range of motion around the vertical so you're bringing yourself more towards the vertical i would expect to see significantly more range of movement in your arms to then um to maintain your contact with the horse Mm. and we kind of saw that but not not how i would have expected to have seen it so explain
0: to our listeners what you were looking for in this range of motion um area so so
1: what i was looking for was actually if you are more because my my thinking is or our thinking is that if your upper body has a restricted profile because you're trying to stop your boobs jumping around so much or you're in pain, then if that upper body is really important for us as riders because that's our direct communication with the horse's mouth, isn't it? Yeah. Through what our arms are, are doing. So I kind of, we wanted to look at the arms as well because that, is is key isn't it you know and and that that contact you know as a coach jesus i could explain the words contact and how to get that soft giving lovely contact with with horse's mouth i'd be making a fortune because you kind of <laughs> but you kind of know when you've got it but yeah you kind of don't always know what it is that creates that and and one of my thinking was that that arm movement might be impacted by your your breast support because you're then theoretically would you have more um uh, ability to be soft with your with with your hands with the horse? Mm. I, I slightly forgot that perhaps I should have put rain tension meters on the um the uh, <laughs> uh on the on the the um the equine simulator. So because- for the listeners, just that
0: that rain tension you can measure how how much force you're pulling in the reins, can't you yes
1: yes and and also you can look at press um at peaks and troughs as well so that changeability of of that and the the racewood simulators they do have a, a measurement of rain tension unfortunately that's not validated for for research so what I should have done was clicked on um some extra sensors on there and we did that with some of our riders but not for the whole sample because that was one of those moments where you're like oops i thought my yeah. was okay but no i should have done that that's something for us to do um in in the future i think because we have also done some work which were um Uh, only with a very small sample size so I don't think it's 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 going to get published where we actually looked at muscle activation on in the um upper and lower back in riders in different breast support conditions as well but that showed um some slightly odd results and we did that with um uh one of the the a really good researcher, um, Keo Torado from um, Japan, and she was over here in a sabbatical and it was great fun for us and my other colleague, Vicki Lewis, to geek out with, with good rider performance researchers. And we did this. It was an amazing study where we looked at, again, running versus riding on the simulator, mm. the EMG on all the horses, uh, on all the, sorry, on the riders we had 3d cameras everywhere we had all of sport 3d cameras we had all of them um, heart 3d cameras that we'd all put in the one room and we had um, a treadmill and we had loads of riders lined up for the whole weekend and then i think it was storm dennis hit oh, and all, no. and all water was coming in through the door of the Rider performance studio at mortal and then our um our portable treadmill went on fire, so <laughs> oh not so, uh, uh, so so we did some of it but we didn't do it to the to the the extent that we wanted to do which is oh, what, and what happens in in research you know so we had just a, a, a very frustrating weekend but one of the things that was most frustrating was we didn't see what we expected to see in muscle activation in our heads we would expect to see that you if you're not having to work hard to rebalance what your boobs are doing, we should see less muscle activation or upper body muscle activation. But actually, we saw more, but with higher breast support. But in my head, the reason for that might be well, is that because it is allowing you to use your arms and your upper body more to respond to the movement of the horse? So could that be why the range of move, motion around the vertical is reduced because you've got more? you've got more muscle availability to concentrate on your balance rather than what your boobs are doing. Boobs are doing, distracting you. So, so well, I, we have no answer for that. That, okay. that kind of like, a, you know, that's another study that we 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 definitely need to do again. And unfortunately, like all of these studies, they're they're not commercially funded. So what we tend to do is it it basically relies on um students being interested in, in this area for us and then uh, and I've got a couple of students at undergraduate level who are going to pick some of these studies up next year as well but um yeah that's that's kind of one of the the limitations is is it's not a massive great funded project like a lot of rider research and even horse research there isn't a big pot of funding funding out there for for research and we yeah. tend to be doing smaller projects and kind of linking those together um rather than um, uh, doing a, a massive funded study so try yeah, and build a bigger picture yeah yeah and one you know we're getting there we're putting but it is a bit like a jigsaw that you haven't got a a, a box a picture for so but even really, from what you've said there that's a bit of a jigsaw isn't it because yes. what you've
0: just said is you had increased muscle activity with yep. increased support and with the arm, so the shoulder, elbow, wrist range of motion, it was reduced with high support, wasn't it? Yeah. So actually, yeah. You're trying to build a picture. Yeah. With those we're,
1: bits. we're trying to build a picture with incomplete evidence, I think. Um, and 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 that's we will be filling in those gaps, but I guess the message is is that we don't know the answers yet, but we do know there's lots of questions to ask. And one mm-hmm. of the questions is do you know what we know that we can at least reduce your discomfort when you're riding by wearing a good um uh, a, a sports bra that fits you appropriately so therefore if you are uncomfortable when you're riding hey here's the thing wear a sports bra that fits you you know yeah. we kind of know that bit we know that we can reduce um discomfort pain exercise induced just breast pain embarrassment mo- breast movement we can reduce that with a well-fitted sports bra then we're moving on to say well actually what does that do for you as a rider and to be honest with you if it just makes you more comfortable where's the harm in that because yeah. theoretically you should if you're more comfortable be able to communicate more effectively with the horse or at least enjoy your riding a bit more and if you're enjoying it maybe the horse will enjoy it a bit more so you know it, it's kind of like um even if it doesn't have a real died in the wool performance effect that you can measure why shouldn't we be comfortable as riders as well
0: Mm, definitely and could breast support be even more important potentially for young riders say when they're 13 14 as their breasts develop
1: yeah i think so To well uh, we don't know about long-term damage because I, i At no point are we ever going to get ethical approval to say, right, right, let's take 100 young riders and 50 of you, you're not going to wear a bra and 50 of you are. And let's (laughs) see how much damage we can do in the long term. You know, we're we're never going to get ethical approval for that. So that will always be um, just a hypothesis. But I think if even just allowing riders to younger riders to just think about, oh, hold on, I'm doing a sport. So maybe I should have a sports bra for if, if my um, breast movement is embarrassing or is is uncomfortable or isn't causing me pain. I, yes, I will have a sports bra, you know, and I'll go and do that. So I guess, and also allowing coaches at Pony Club or um, at the riding school or competitive coaches, being able to have that conversation with with um, riders without feeling awkward and also without it being inappropriate as well. So. <laughs> And and I think it's an important um, conversation to have. And we did a I did a, um, a training day a CPD day for the fellows and eyes BHS fellows and eyes. Um, uh, one of their conventions or CPD days, and that was really interesting talking to them about actually having that conversation. And you know, I'm no expert in that kind of area of how to have those difficult conversations, but the fact that you're giving people scientific evidence somehow. Often makes it easier for them to have a difficult conversation because it's not just opinion based. Yes. You know, so therefore, you take that personal aspect out of it, and and it can become more, um, yeah, it can become more, uh, um, uh, more easy to talk about, but also more easy to be talked at about it you know so it's easier to receive scientific rather than personal information sometimes. it removes yourself from it oh, yeah. it does it does and you know we know for now, for sure now based on the research done by the the research group in breast health at, at Portsmouth we um the British Army for example all their female recruits are are now um fitted and um uh issued with sports bras during training oh, wow. um the all the female athletes uh from Britain in the Tokyo uh, Olympics had bespoke bras fitted to them and 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 given just in the case the the chance that it could increase their performance by that marginal gain, you know. So so that kind of um, and I think the hockey team, the English hockey team now have their own um, bespoke sports bras that are are made for them and supplied. So I think that the, certainly the researchers at Portsmouth are making differences to to how the wider community look at sports bras as well.
0: It's certainly, important research to be done, isn't it? So, if we have students listening, we can encourage them to yes. pick up the research and move forward with it. Yes, absolutely, come and be part of Team Boob. <laughs> yeah, or if you're happy to take your top off for the name yes. of research,
1: yes, you know, exactly,
0: get involved.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
0: So, I do have some questions from the audience.
1: Yes, how often do I need to replace my sports bra? Should never have a birthday, that we said that before, definitely. Um, and I think you can kind of tell when it's getting a bit stretchy and a bit yucky. And when you buy a bra, you should always fit it to the 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 loosest setting, and that be comfortable. So that when it does stretch a little bit, you can tighten that up on the band, so that you're you're not um it's not moving basically uh, all around the place. And also, you know, um don't tumble dry it, and be careful how you wash your bra. Wow
0: how can coaches approach a conversation with the client that needs support without negatively affecting the relationship
1: oh now that is a big question and i guess that's that's the question for someone um more ve- versed in human behavior change than, than than me and that is a that is a difficult conversation to to have i guess make sure that it's an appropriate setting you're not embarrassing the individual by uh, talking about it in public mm-hmm. but then maybe you're with more than just you and the client so that there is also um, uh, not that uh, chance for it to just be one-on-one conversation so I guess be careful but also use some of the resources that are out there and we've done it before with students in that we share that information with the whole group go, look this sure. is interesting. thing blah 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 rather than singling out one individual person
0: so say it's a clinic or a pony club or something you could yeah. do it as a group yes. to yeah. highlight the information absolutely absolutely that's a great idea how do you know what sort of bra is best for riding um
1: we don't <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry everybody um uh, so there is there is one like i said that is marketed as a specific riding bra but it's not all that easy to get hold of i guess just a good supportive sports bra for now is the best that i can recommend and um, we don't know yet if we should be saying yes you need a, a a specific riding bra or if a good sports bra is is fine so we don't know the answer to that question yet
0: but, do, do boobs move quite differently riding compared
1: to running we don't know. so from a vertical um, vertical breast displacements so relative vertical breast displacement point of view we see pretty much a similar vertical movement in sitting trot compared to running on a treadmill okay there is a difference in the running bra in the amount of pain in those two activities um reported so we don't know what the explanation is for that so okay so that's that's kind of our next step so it could just be that the people that we used in that particular piece of research maybe were better riders than they were runners. Maybe that would explain it. Or, you know, I I I don't know. So that's something for us to investigate in more in more detail. Brilliant.
0: Are boob bands any good? I don't know if you'll know the answer to this.
1: I don't know because we haven't actually done any testing on them. Um and people do keep suggesting that that we do them. So that might be something for, for the future. I don't know is is the answer to that one okay or at least i don't know from a scientific point of view
0: and then the last question was asking if wearing a normal bra and a sports bra is
1: a good idea and um, so i don't I, well i would like to hope that everybody could find a bra that would control their breast movement enough just by finding one bra but unfortunately that bra may well cost you as much as both of those bras you were talking about yeah you know I think I think one bra there are sports bras out there that will work for pretty much anybody but finding that bra can be the really challenging thing so I would say whatever makes you comfortable when you're riding and is not doing any damage to you to your position or to you know it's not uncomfortable enough And, and in fact some people one of the things they said was the only time their boobs didn't bounce when they rode was when they wore a um when they wore a body protector. So they just rode all the time in a body protector. But that's then, common, isn't it? People yeah. Enjoy. But then that's another issue because body protectors are not made for girls, and often people wear if they have big boobs, they wear a body protector that is too large for them which then to fit the boobs in, which then means that maybe the body protector is not doing its job properly in other areas. So that's another whole area of mm. that needs to be done.
0: So is this breast research as important for people with small boobs? Because I've got some riders that say, oh, it doesn't apply to me because I've got small boobs. So, so y- yes,
1: I would say possibly. We don't see as much of a change in position for those with smaller breasts. and and But in the running research, they have found that exercise and just breast pain in running can impact um small-breasted uh, people as well so i guess i would say if you if it's not a problem for you don't be running out to get a sports bra if 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 it's not an issue for you and you do, you're not uncomfortable however i would also say don't say well i can't have th- a problem with this because my boobs are too small it's about your own personal experience and also you know Fundamentally, if people don't suffer any breast pain and then suddenly start um, suffering breast pain, then get to the doctors with that, because there could be another explanation for that breast pain and, and that new kind of element of exercise and just breast pain. That could have a more sinister um, background to it. So definitely, if you've got new breast pain, go and get that checked out.
0: Definitely. Yeah, that's a good suggestion. So it's it's more to do with subjective pain. And if there's any changes.
1: Yeah.
0: Sure. Okay, so we always finish the show with five quick fire questions for you. Oh, so, where were you? Where are you now? And where are you going with your research? <laughs> where was
1: I? So, where I was was that nobody knew anything about rider boobs. So that's where we were. Uh, where am I now? We know exactly how much we don't know about <laughs> rider breast movement, which is <laughs> which is annoying. But at least we know it teeny tiny bit now and actually we've got some stuff that we can have conversations about where are we going 3D uh, I've got we've got to um, actually be able to compare in three dimensions the movement of the breast in riding versus running so we'll know the answer to that question Could, should I be recommending everybody out there just go get yourself a good running bra it's fine that that will do or should we be going to manufacturers saying actually there is a a difference in breast movement and between running and riding so here's a latent market for you and it's worth the research and and the 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 product development for for you to bring that to the market
0: brilliant yeah good answer what do you wish you knew before you started research
1: well all research or just this yeah any research um i wish I wish I okay. So I think a lot of people and students out there think that published researchers are kind of super clever gods away in the the distance somewhere, but they're not. And and they're just normal people who are dead interested in stuff and they want to know the answers, but they rely on people coming and taking part in that. So so I, I wish I had known how normal researchers were and how how excited they are about their research. But also I wish I could work out a way of how to get participants excited about the research and get them to give up their time to come in and, and take part in research. And that goes for all research out there. It's one of the problems we have with rider performance research is getting busy riders to come and give up some of their time to take part in the research, but we're not gonna know any of the answers unless they do.
0: Yeah, you, know, you need volunteers and people to be enthused to come join. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How how is your relationship with imposter syndrome? Me? Oh
1: yeah. I I so I work with some really amazing people. Um and I let that rub off on me. But yes, I'm um I never think I'm um, uh as clever as all the other people around me. <laughs> that doesn't matter because I'm more interested and that's that's something that somebody taught me a lot of years ago is you don't have to be clever you don't have to be the brain of britain you don't have to know the answers to everything you just have to be interested and that is um that's a quote from professor brian cox um, um, and he basically says if you're interested you will find out about stuff and i think that's the key be interested have
0: a passion that yeah that you can follow yeah How do you think we can make research more
1: accessible and understandable for everyone? Oh, now that is a big old question. And so science is going down the route of open access publications. And that basically, so historically, a lot of these publications have been behind firewall or behind, you know, pay per view. So we as researchers, we don't pay to publish, but the journal charges people to read. Mm. papers whereas now we're going down the line of a lot of these um uh, journals are becoming what we call open access and people think that's great because they've got access to all this amazing research which is brilliant but that means researchers have to pay to publish so Uh, to publish in an open access journal is going to cost me over 1800 pounds all right and and so that and then also the more um the more um, papers that are accepted into the journal, then the more money the journal makes. So you could suggest that is the peer review process as rigorous because they want those anyway, that's another question. but that's no good because most most papers, scientific papers, most people, I mean geez, I'm the author of them, and I don't think I read more than the abstract and and <laughs> methodology and a couple of conclusions, you know so, I don't know that open access of all that science is necessarily answer. I think it's about better communication of the science. And it's also about not talking down to practitioners. It's about enthusing them about the research and finding out what practitioners want researchers to to research as well because
0: mm. especially even if it is open access i know if i put it in front of my mum she'd go what on earth does this mean yeah exactly i mean, what most, do you people, mean? most
1: people don't know what a p value is so why am i yeah. writing all of that it's dead. but i think there are some really good um magazines out there which do some amazing stuff of taking the research and and basically laying out those bag of snakes and, and and stray um and one of those is a magazine called horses and people um which is available online in australia there's also horse talk new zealand and then the horse as well so um which is a, a kind of web-based journal as well and the people who write for them are particularly good at communicating that the science and i think that's something to to make sure that riders and practitioners follow
0: brilliant thank you for that suggestion if there's one thing that
1: you could teach the horse world, what would it be? Uh, be nice to your horses because it's a luxury. We we don't need to ride horses anymore. There was a time where our survival as the human race depended on on our use of horses, whereas now it's a privilege. And mm-hmm. so we need to, you know, we have to accept that we exploit horses. Of course we do. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. We need to make sure we do that in a state of, optimal welfare and just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean that that's going to work for that particular horse so i think be open minded be nice to your horses but also be nice to each other you know yeah. i think the horse world is so can be really judgmental and it can be really difficult to express your concerns about horse welfare without actually um being mean to people and 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 actually um Not thinking about their welfare either. So I'm very much into the one welfare concept is that we can actually increase horse welfare, increase human welfare and well being, and then hopefully our sports will survive.
0: Yeah, actually just be kind to each other. (laughs) Just be nice. What is it Bill and Ted say? Be excellent to each other. Be excellent. I like that. So if you can sum up today's message in one summary, what is your last message to our audience?
1: and um, treasure your chest treasure your chest I like Definitely. that so, so make sure you you know you owe it to yourself to have bras that fit that are well designed and you do not have to ride in paint.
0: Wonderful. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Good. It's been enlightening. Good. And I hope our audience has too. So if they have any questions, can they direct them to you? Yeah, absolutely. They can drop me an
1: email. Always happy for email. an email. Are you uh, on
0: socials? Uh, yes, I am.
1: I'm on Twitter. So I'll send you all those details so you can put them in the notes. So I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter and um, and uh, definitely can. I'll share my email as well. So if you've got questions, look at my
0: show notes and you can direct Lorna directly. So thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. We appreciate your research and keep doing the wonderful job that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you very much. Cheers. Bye. What a woman. Loved that conversation with Lorna. So insightful. And I really hope that you've taken loads away from it as well. So protect your chest really look after because you're going to get one in the meantime follow me on social media at rider strength coach for all your strength and conditioning needs and don't hesitate to contact me if you need some help in that area thank you so much for joining us have a great day